I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 9 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am thrilled to bring you the Dent family this week, talking not only about their experiences playing tennis themselves, but also their life as academy owners in Keller, Texas, and what it's like working together as father, son, and wife. It is a great conversation. I think you're going to not only be enlightened and learn some things, but also hopefully have some of your own actions confirmed by the dents as they talk about their relationships and how they manage those in business and off the court as well. But before we jump into that, a couple of announcements. First of all, just wanted to remind y'all about my new live stream on Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, Tennis Takeaways with Lisa and Dewey. That streams live on the Parenting Aces YouTube channel, but is also available on demand anytime also on our YouTube channel for you to check out. So hope you'll tune in and give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing on that one. Also, I'm going to be in Atlanta this week and really excited to be covering the Rafael Nadal Grigor Dimitrov exhibition on Monday night. If you're going to be at that event, I hope you'll come by and say hello. It is going to be a fun one, and I'm just so thrilled to be able to be there and cover it for the Parenting Aces world. So Sit back now, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast with Phil Taylor and Jenny Dent. Dent family, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're, we're excited to talk. We're excited to talk tennis. I mean, it's been a while since you and I have talked, Taylor. Phil, I'm so thrilled to have you on. And I feel like between the two of you and Jenny, when she can join us, we're going to have such great perspectives on what's happening in junior tennis development and, you know, in coaching and all those things, academies and, and all of that. But I would love to start with Phil, if we can. And Phil, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us kind of what you're seeing in junior tennis development in the U.S. these days and how things have changed or maybe not changed over the years. Well, um, with the U.S. tennis, I, I think that the um, USTA is doing a better job in, in developing the kids. And I think that the academies, there's quite a few good academies around. And I think that uh, with the with the better coaches coming into the game, uh, the, the kids are getting better. Um, I'd like to see more of uh, the better coaches getting involved, the, the former tennis players getting involved with the kids because they have so much knowledge to give. And it'd be a shame if it was wasted. Agreed. And I mean, you you came from the professional tennis world. Of course, your son came from the professional tennis world. What does it take to transition from being a player to being a coach? What makes a good coach? Oh, well, it's just being observant. I think that when you're out there playing, uh, I think a lot of guys would like to have coached for a while and gone back into tennis because I think you learn a lot more actually when you stop playing. I mean, for a long time, you you take advice and you try and work through the, the game of playing and trying to basically win points, win matches, win prize money. 
and it's it's hard to develop a, a perspective on other other people's games or even looking at your own game. You have people helping you. I think once you get into coaching, you tend to step back and take a good look, and then sometimes you wonder, well, I wish I would have known that when I was playing. But uh, I, I, in general, I think it's basically just looking at um, being observant, and uh, there's not, nothing is no one shoe size fits all. You have to be be able to adapt to the person you're teaching. Um, and as I said, there's no two players look alike. So right. I think that... Go ahead. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 9 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am thrilled to bring you the Dent family this week, talking not only about their experiences playing tennis themselves, but also their life as academy owners in Keller, Texas, and what it's like working together as father, son, and wife. It is a great conversation. I think you're going to not only be enlightened and learn some things, but also hopefully have some of your own actions confirmed by the Dents as they talk about their relationships and how they manage those in business and off the court as well. But before we jump into that, a couple of announcements. First of all, just wanted to remind y'all about my new live stream on Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, Tennis Takeaways with Lisa and Dewey. That streams live on the Parenting Aces YouTube channel, but is also available on demand anytime also on our YouTube channel for you to check out. So hope you'll tune in and give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing on that one. Also, I'm going to be in Atlanta this week and really excited to be covering the Rafael Nadal Grigor Dimitrov exhibition on Monday night. If you're going to be at that event, I hope you'll come by and say hello. It is going to be a fun one and I'm just so thrilled to be able to be there and cover it for the Parenting Aces world. So Sit back now, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast with Phil Taylor and Jenny Dent. Dent family, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're, we're excited to talk. We're excited to talk tennis. I mean, it's been a while since you and I have talked, Taylor. Phil, I'm so thrilled to have you on. And I feel like between the two of you and Jenny, when she can join us, we're going to have such great perspectives on what's happening in junior tennis development and, you know, in coaching and all those things, academies and, and all of that. But I would love to start with Phil, if we can. And Phil, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us kind of what you're seeing in junior tennis development in the U.S. these days and how things have changed or maybe not changed over the years. Well, um, with the U.S. tennis, I, I think that the um, USTA is doing a better job in, in developing the kids. And I think that the academies, there's quite a few good academies around. And I think that uh, with the with the better coaches coming into the game, uh, the, the kids are getting better. Um, I'd like to see more of uh, the better coaches getting involved, the, the former tennis players, 
getting involved with the kids because they have so much knowledge to give and it'd be a shame if it was wasted. Agreed. And I mean, you, you came from the professional tennis world. Of course, your son came from the professional tennis world. What does it take to transition from being a player to being a coach? What makes a good coach? Oh, well, it's just being observant. I think that when you're out there playing, uh, I think a lot of guys would like to have coached for a while and gone back into tennis because I think you learn a lot more actually when you stop playing. I mean, for a long time, you you take advice and you try and work through the, the game of playing and trying to basically win points, win matches, win prize money. And it's it's hard to develop a, a perspective on other other people's games or even looking at your own game. You have people helping you. I think once you get into coaching, you tend to step back and take a good look. And then sometimes you wonder, well, I wish I would have known that when I was playing. But uh, in general, I think it's basically just looking at um, being observant. And uh, there's nothing is, no one shoe size fits all. You have to be, be able to adapt to the person you're teaching. Um, And as I said, there's no two players look alike. So right. I think that, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, no, I just think that you know the transition is, is is an easy one. I think for people who are really interested in developing a good game, and as I said, you you find out like I I know a lot more now about tennis than I did when I was playing, just because I've taken a, a solid interest and I've had Taylor um, and a, and a few other good players that I've that I've helped develop. And so you, and when you get interested and you start doing your job and you understand that, uh, as I said, there's a, there's a few exceptions to a rule, but normally the rules are pretty, pretty plain for you to see if you just take a good look. Well, it kind of begs the question, you know, would it make sense for junior players to take on a coaching role of their younger peers as they're coming up and maybe that would help them do what you're saying you you know that you you think you know many pro players wish they could have done which is go to sure. coaching and then come back and play i think that's a great idea i think that if the kids actually step back for a couple of this did a little bit of one once a week got in involved with the uh less lesser kids in the academy um and they took a look and they actually were into you know, taking a good look at what's going on with the kids they're trying to help, I'm sure that it would actually open their eyes to what they're doing as well. Because once you start teaching, you get you get a feel for what that person can and can't do. And what, because as I said, you, you can't teach everyone the same way. Everyone's a little different, but you tend to seem to figure out real quick what works for them. So it mm-hmm. would be a good idea for the young kids to actually help with the academies with the younger kids because it would help them in the long run. Right, right. Phil, going back a few years to when Taylor was a kid and you were working with him, what do you take from that experience now that you guys are running an academy together and you know, you're having to not only coach the kids out there, but I'm assuming and we'll jump into this a little in a little more detail later, but Educate the parents as well. Well, educating the parents is always a challenge to a certain extent. I mean, it's it's hard to go back and 
being a parent of a, of a top-class tennis player like Taylor, you know, I, in the long run, I basically said to him, listen, I'd rather be your father than your coach. And at, I think about 19 or 20 years old, you know, we were, look, we're great friends to this day, and I'm really proud of that. Um, but I think when parents get too involved, you know, look, look, some things work out, but people don't realize, they only see the good things that happen sometimes. They don't realize that there's many thousands of parents who um, would be better off stepping back and letting their kids, you know, take the take the reins and move forward themselves. And you get a good coach and you trust the coach. And um, I think it'd be a lot better in in many circumstances where the where the parents step back. I, as I said, I, I I coached Taylor from the time he was when he began when he was eleven or twelve up until he was about nineteen twenty. And uh, and I was glad to get rid of him to tell you the truth because <laughs> <laughs> no no because you know everyone the, the, everyone develops their own opinions and look it may be you're on the same track but when it comes I think when it comes from your parents I think it's it's tougher I mean because they want to please you a lot and uh, and I I think that just when you step back and you take a look and you just let them run their own course you know. Um, I think it works out better. Although he did come back to me about a few years later, and um, this is a great story. I'll tell you a quick story. He um, he said he'd been injured at Wimbledon. He'd lost to Lubacic, and he hurt his wrist. Came back, and he was working out a lot. And he said to me, he said, "Dad, can you can you help me you know, a little bit?" I said, yeah, "Fine, yeah, great." So we we sort of he hadn't played um, a tournament from Wimbledon, and we worked. Uh, he started to play a little bit, and then we got to the U.S. Open, and he had he got to the round of 16s, and he lost to Agassi, I think, in four sets, and he had a good chance there. Hurt his leg a little bit, but recovered from that. And then we went to Bangkok. He won Bangkok. Uh, he beat the number one player in the world at that stage. I think it was Ferrero. And then we travelled straight to to uh, Moscow, and he won that tournament, which is incredibly hard to do. To win two ATP tournaments in a row is 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 fantastic and so we went from uh (laughs) he's laughing in the background here because then we went straight to paris for the paris indoors and we get there he says uh he said to me we've traveled all that way over there and he said um okay dad he said thanks very much i don't need you anymore so he sent me home he fired me he he fired so he fired me so uh, no, but I, look, as far as the parents go, I think you know everyone's got to take a look at how they're handling their kids, and you know I think it's important for the kids because you want to honestly, when they finish their career, however short or long it is, you want to be friends. You you got to make sure that you're friends with them because I've I've seen too many families broken apart because they got way too involved with their kids' tennis. Yeah, yeah. Taylor, what's your take on on the whole firing incident? <laughs> it's a totally Hash, different story. Hashtag I fired my dad. <laughs> well, I told him just to kind of mind his own business and, and grab me some waters, and then he thought I was you know, he was coach all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> so um, it's just what it is. It's, it's exactly what Dad said. You know, I, I believe I believe when I was, you know, 12 years old, all the way through to now, without any doubt that my dad's one of the best coaches in the world. I mean, he's worked with some of the biggest names in tennis. He developed me 
But the fact of the matter is when, uh, when a parent gets involved, there's just, there's just this emotional thing. I mean, I, I've never seen it work out amazingly well on, on tour. It, it, you know, obviously you can be a phenomenal tennis player and have a parent involved. You know, we see that on the regular, but behind the scenes, those relationships tend, tend to not be so great. And, and so I felt like I was older when that happened. And I felt like it was just kind of, I, I was starting to get those same emotions back, not because my dad was an incapable coach, all, all to the opposite, all to the contrary. It was just because it was just, man, you know, it's just like, you know, this father something is, is rearing its head again. And we have such a great relationship. And, and he said it at a, at a young age, I'd rather be your dad than your coach. And, and that's all it was. You know, I just, I feel like it's very underestimated how hard it is to be parent and coach at the same time. In fact, actually, to add on to that, one of the best relationships between parent and not necessarily coach, but parent and, and supporters, actually, you know, Jared Donaldson and his father, Courtney Donaldson. Um, I, I thought that relationship was amazing, to be honest with you. And, and the secret to that was Courtney is very supportive of Jared. He always finds the silver lining. He doesn't lie to Jared. Um, but he finds a, he finds a way to kind of frame the situation in a positive light and paint a picture forward. And it was always an encouraging thing, in my opinion, for Jared to be around Courtney. And I think parents, you know, when you're in the thick of it, when you, when you're in the middle of the fight and you're in the middle of the battle, it's tough to find that because you want it. You'll probably almost want it more for your kid, you know, your child then they want it for themselves at some stages just because you want to see them succeed and, and be, be greater than you were. And so I really commend, uh, you know, Courtney uh, for, for being able to find that way every, every single time I was around. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a unique family. Um, very special for sure. So now that you guys are working together again in a very different capacity, how is the how has your relationship as father and son but also as business partners developed and helped you to create this really successful tennis academy in Texas well i think the biggest part of it for me honestly is we we added a third element to the whole picture you know, we got we got my wife Jenny involved, and she is smarter than the both of us combined. She's more organized than both of us combined, and she's really, you know, she's probably the best one to answer that question because she is really the magic formula behind the success of the academy. So, Jenny, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> I will say I am smarter and I am more organized. <laughs> Girl power, absolutely. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, um, I, you know what, I, the, the Academy, I, I honestly, I feel like the Academy wouldn't, wouldn't survive outside of, I mean, without the three of us together. And I, and I, I'm, I say, I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of the glue that holds the thing that holds the Academy together. Um, you know, I, I, um, Taylor and Phil are, are very high in demand um and they are they work very very hard um i am try try to do my very best to um just keep 
keep it all uh, everyone is is you know not not one person is working harder than the other that we're all spreading it out um you know it's it's i try to give as much as i can as much as as the the customers will allow phil to take a break um i know he sometimes feels like he's out of the court a lot more than than he wants to be right now um he i think he's he likes to spend time with our son playing golf and, and I love that too. Um, cause it's not me, but, um, we just, you know, we, we just make it work with, with juggling. It's a juggling act. It is a constant juggling act. And, um, I think I just try and help bring order and balance to that. Do you find as the, I'm using air quotes here, the outlaw, um, of the family that, you know, that you're able to, have a perspective and maintain a perspective that's a little more balanced because there's not that tension of, Oh, this is my parent, you know, Oh, this is my kid. And you can kind of, I don't know, moderate the whole relationship and from the business side of things. Um, you know, I think, I think we all do a really good job with that. I don't, you know, Taylor's got a, a, a very, I mean, he, one of the things that I really appreciate with him and I've learned so much just even teaching side by side. Um, she steals all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has, um, he has such a way of simplifying things. And I really feel that like that's important for students. I remember growing up myself through junior tennis, having such a clear understanding of what I was trying to do on the court. And I, and I think that, um, you know, tennis can get complicated if you, if you try and, you know, if you, if you don't try and simplify, it can get very complicated. There are too many circumstances where, you know, one thing could work in, in, in one situation, but another could work in another. And, you know, it's not just sort of a blanket rule all the time. I think that, and that just comes with experience, but, you know, the kids need simple concepts. They need to understand the fundamentals and that will take them quite a long way. I mean, they're, they don't need to sort of adapt um, or adopt, I should say, uh, you know, more progressive concepts un- until they're much older. And, um, you know, it's just because I think you, uh, some people underestimate how, how far, you know, just a, a basic concept done very well can take you in tennis. Um, so, you know, that's what we stress here. And sometimes parents kind of scratch their heads and think, well, this can't be all that there is to tennis. And, you know, with our three experience at the high, at the highest level, we're saying but actually, yeah, it is. You just, you don't <laughs> need to complicate, you don't need to complicate the game. You really just need to get you know, a, a handful of concepts down and you need to work your butt off and do them better than everyone else. And that, that will take you really far. Um, you know, there, I think that Taylor, Phil and I, um, our, our, our strength in the academy is that we all understand that and we can approach these concepts from different angles. Um, Taylor is uh, very, uh, he's, he's attuned to quality, ball quality. Um, he is not one who will look at a student and say, you know, technically, I think you should do this, this, and this. He first attacks the ball quality um, and, and sort of uh, approaches a student from that perspective. Phil will say, okay, I see your technical, you know, um, some technical 
improvements need to be made in, in these areas. Um, and he can pick them up right away. I mean, his eye is, is impeccable. Um, I come from a standpoint of a little bit more of a physical and a footwork. Um, it's just my, my passion. So I like to watch the kids, how they move. I like to see, you know, when are they moving? Are they anticipating on time? Are they, you know, is, are there improvements that can be made there to just the way and, and how quickly they're reading the ball off the other person's racket? Are they moving the most efficiently? Um, are they strong? Are they, you know, in and out of corners? You know, how, how does that all look? And so, you know, I think the three of us together combined, we can offer, um, you know, a little bit of everything, but, but in the end, we all are working towards the same goal, which is, you know, I, that, which, which I feel is, is very important when you're, you know, when you're trying to find the right fit for a student, you know, to have sort of all, all ends buttoned up and, um, and not conflicting between coaches. Yeah. For sure. Taylor, this whole notion of ball quality, can you expand on that for for our listeners who might not be familiar with that term? Yeah, I mean, for me, ball quality is just a phrase kind of sums up what I see when I see a good player uh, versus a kind of a developing player strike a ball. And what it entails is, is pretty simple. What Jenny says, you know, I like it. I'm not as smart as she is. So I need things nice and simple. And, uh, you know, my eye is accustomed to seeing really good players hit the ball. And that ball looks a particular way. It goes a, a particular speed through the court. It's got a, a certain amount of spin on it. And so that ball behaves a certain way through the air. And then you can also factor in accuracy there. You know, um, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the most awesome experiences I had with Jared when I was out on the road with Jared, he got to practice with Federer for a month in Dubai. And we talked about just his accuracy alone all month. You know, Feder was his, his average miss, his cluster of balls was like a two foot miss from where he was aiming. Um, so all those things, I would say speed of ball, pace of ball, miles per hour, spin and accuracy all go into ball quality. Um, then you, then, you know, I, I'd say that's my, my primary uh, passion in, in developing kids is because I, I feel like having a great ball quality is the ultimate insurance policy. You know, the, the worse your ball quality is, the more accurate you have to be to stay out of trouble. If you hit a really big ball that's tough to deal with, you can hit it in the middle of the court and be pretty safe. Um, right. So that's kind of my primary passion. And then after that is, is kind of tactical. What do we do with this ball now that we have it? You know, let's, I mean, because realistically, I mean, if I compare it to some to a different sport, like let's say golf, you know, I'm not a very good golfer. You might be the best caddy in the world. And, and, and tactically tell me how to play this course. But I'm a terrible golfer. My miss is going to be, you know, 100 yards. So all of the tactics that you have for me don't matter anything. You know, I, I'm not going to be skilled enough to do it. And that's where ball quality kind of comes in. If you're able to hit the ball somewhat accurately, man, then the game gets really fun. Then the tactics really come into play. Um, but until you get kind of accurate, we're talking about just hitting a consistent, big aggressive ball in the court and uh, and working on our accuracy to get there. So when y'all get a new player at your academy, how do you evaluate them and you know based on that evaluation, how do you then proceed to take them through the steps? Um I would say we obviously you know knowing kind of 
what you know about us now. Jenny looks at their kind of physicalness. Dad looks at, you know, their strokes and, and kind of what they look like. I look at what type of ball they're generating. We're all going to evaluate them slightly differently, but we're going to come to the same conclusion at the end of the day. You know, we're going to say, okay, how's this player served? How's this player's forehand, backhand moving? I mean, honestly, those are the meat and potatoes of tennis, you know, the physical part of tennis. You know, mentality is another aspect of it. But uh, if we're just talking purely physically, it's, you know, tennis is played 90% with your serve, forehand, backhand, and moving. So if we kind of just analyze that and see what's going on. Um, as far as being in the academy, I feel that the academy's main role is to give the necessary amount of repetitions with oversight, with intensity, uh, for that, to give the player an opportunity to improve. I tell you what the most humbling thing is, is coming off the tour and thinking that me, Jenny, and my father are going to churn out little mini professionals left and right. And it's not the case. You know, we pride ourselves on giving the kids an opportunity to improve. Uh, what I have realized um, is that, you know, you can't force a kid to improve. They, they, they have to want it and they have to be desperate. Mm -hmm. So we really try hard within the academy hours to give the kids an opportunity to improve. We, we hit so many balls here. I mean, I don't know if we hit more balls than any other academy, but I tell you what, we certainly strive to because understanding is, is one thing, but having the skill to repeat it and do it is a totally different thing. And you're not going to get that skill uh, to repeat it without doing it how many times? You know, it's just like mm -hmm. outliers. You got to do it 10,000 hours, right? So we really try that and we try to give the kids, um, you know, kind of guidelines on what we're looking for, what we want and all that sort of stuff. And if we see somebody stray too far from the center, then, you know, we, we, we try to bump them back on track. But ultimately, I mean, the coach, you know, coaching is great and coaching has assisted Roger Federer to be Roger Federer, but he's Roger Federer. I mean, he earned it. He did the work. <laughs> he was passionate about it. You know, and, and it's just yeah. you, you had the, the, the player has to be the centerpiece. You can't pull the player along. So I, that's another thing we try to do too. We try to motivate the kids and inspire the kids to really get out here and, and play hard. Um, How do you do that? Fun. Honestly, it's fun. I, I hate, I wish it was more complex and, and uh, mystical than that. But I tell you what, my experience working with players for as long as I have and seeing players work with my dad is when players are having fun, they try harder. When players are having fun, they play longer. When players are having fun, it's just the intensity is up. Their focus is up. They're engaged. When players are not having fun, they're disengaged. And, and just mm -hmm. visualize that. They just don't want to be out there. They you know, their intensity goes down and so on and so forth. So I think the art of running the academy, not so much in a private lesson, but in an academy setting, the art of running an academy is how do we trick these kids into having fun while doing drills that are super beneficial? It's, it's kind of like the karate kid when he's doing all those chores, he doesn't think he's doing anything, but he wasn't having fun when he was doing that. Like we really want the kids to have fun out here. So we create little games and all this sort of stuff, uh, competitive games. To, to really get their competitive juices going. Um, and, uh, and and I think that's the art, is how do we make something very, very productive, very, very fun at the same time? 
Well, I think that's, it is an art and, you know, the definition of fun. And when, when some people hear that word fun, um, their hackles go up because they're like, well, you know, no, I'm, I'm paying money for my kid to, to learn and to get better. And, you know, this isn't playtime, but at the end of the day, tennis is a game. It is a game. And I agree with you. I, you know, there is a way to have fun and work at the same time. Well, I, yeah. And here's my thing. And and we've been talking about this a lot lately internally in the academy. And Jenny can tell you this. I don't know if my dad would concede this as much, but Jenny would tell you this. I'm ultra competitive. Like I want to win at everything that we do. You know what I mean? And, and whether that's being a great academy, I want to win. I'm super competitive. So to me, how I see all the great players that I've ever, see, ever seen uh, get better is they work their butts off. They try hard. So if I can create a drill or a game that gets the job done as far as what I want to work on, what these kids need to work on, and they have fun and their intensity is up and their competitiveness is up and their focus is up. I mean, how is that a lose? That that is an absolute win. So for me, I don't play these games to, you know, to to mess around and waste time and fill the day. I play these games so these kids get intense and that their skills actually get better. And that's what I mean when I try to say that I I trick them into having fun and just got to be creative on the day. I I feel like it's exhausting running the academy because again, you just you're dealing with human beings that, oh, I've seen that trick before. Show me something new. And it's like, oh, great. Here we go again. You know, but that's mm-hmm. the idea. Right. And Phil, from your perspective, I mean, you've been in the game a while. What, how do you feel that kids and parents are kind of changing what they demand, what they expect when they show up to train? I mean, is it any different from it was when you were a kid or from when Taylor was a kid? Uh, Well, when I was a kid, there was no academies. But uh, when Taylor was a young fella, we had an academy. And look, it hasn't changed. Every parent comes along there and they want their kid to improve. You know, and as Taylor said, the the idea is is how do we do do that? And we've seen, we played. Um, I know how hard I worked. I know how hard Jenny and Taylor worked to, to get to where they got to in tennis. Um, and sometimes it's 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 tough. It can be hard. And sometimes I think in an academy setting to where you can get the kids to, as Taylor said, work hard. You know, And if they have a bit of a laugh and a bit of fun working hard, I think that's really, really good. Because, look, if if you're not enjoying the game, the game's hard enough. When you start playing matches, the game is tough. I don't care what anyone says. This is a rough game. It's emotional for for the for the players, the the parents, and everyone. And uh, I think that you know to get the kids to to actually improve, you've got to put it in a way where you know they 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 they're working hard and they're having fun doing it. You know, obviously they're going to be disappointed sometimes when they're not having a great day and everything, but the idea is you keep working at it. I mean, there's a lot of the kids who want to become either, you know, professional tennis players or, you know, very good uh, college players. I mean, they have, they have to have that work ethic in there. And I think we help it 
by giving them a chance to have a, a rough day and still come back and still in in you know work hard and enjoy the the, the road you know mm-hmm. to get there it's a it's a long hard road I mean look there's no you don't go straight from being a, you know like an average player to a really good one you, you just it doesn't happen I mean you have to work for it I don't care who it's Federer or anybody I mean I think Federer you know I mean I know Taylor knows this so I think he lost his first ten matches as a pro. He actually talked to Taylor about only playing doubles. So, I mean, everyone goes through a rough time, you know. So, and I don't think a lot of people knew that about Federer. But um, interesting, yeah. You, you have to make the for the academy's, you know, position. You have to try and get them to work hard every day. And if you go out there and you slog them to death, then they become passive about it. I mean, like they become really, you know, like. They're not working hard. They're not taking notice of what's going on. But if you make it a little bit more enjoyable, you know, they're into it. You know, if you get the kids into it, then they're going to improve. Right. How important is playing tournaments at a young age? Well, for me, I, you know, look, I think you <laughs> you got to play. I mean, from my eyes, I don't know what Jenny and Taylor honestly think. I think they think the same thing is that you, you have to play. You have to compete. I mean, playing tennis is is tough. I mean, it's you're out there by yourself, and if you wait too long to learn how to accept all the things that go on in tennis on a tennis court, um, if you wait too long, it's difficult. So, I mean, I think that you know, starting off and playing points and playing matches and is really good for the game. It's good for the kids because they learn how to take care of themselves too. Right. How important yeah. is winning at a young age? Winning at a young age, I think. I think competing is is more like if you can look. I think if you walk off a court and and you can tell you can say to your student or even yourself when you're playing, I competed really, really well. Like I can say to, I mean, I know Taylor, you know, because he's my son, and we had that transition from 12 to 19 now a lot of the times i'd say listen if you execute this way that's all you can do that's the best you can do if you can honestly do that then that's great now you may have a bad day doing it but you have if you have a plan and you're trying to execute the stuff then it's good right i just think that you know being out there and playing is is really important really important yeah and and i would just like to add on to that i mean the, the two questions is you know how important is playing tournaments you know one of the things that comes to my mind is, so I, my oldest son is almost 10. He's nine years old and he's a, he's a really good golfer. And we try to, we tried this season to not tell him his ranking in the area that we're in. You know, we just didn't want him to even worry about it or focus on it. We wanted him to focus on playing the right way. Well, guess what happened? Um, you know, the, the third to last tournament of the year, uh, his, his little buddy that he plays golf with comes up and tell him he's ranked number one, you know, in the section. <laughs> <laughs> and he happened to have, obviously, coincidentally, not coincidentally, he had to have the worst round of of his uh, little little you know season. I mean, and it wasn't close; it was by far. And so that's the importance, in my opinion, of competing. The importance is learning how to deal with pressure. Um, now, if you can fabricate that pressure in practice, well, good job. You know, you've done it. You know, that, that's the idea. But you can't. You know, tournaments just mean more. And we had this conversation with my with my son, and uh, you know, he ended up finishing the year pretty strong. But again, you can't replicate that in practice. And and 
you know, on the second question, how important is winning? I, I think it de- depends how you define winning. If you define winning as coming off the court the victor, then I would say the importance of that is negligible. If you define coming off the court feeling like you're making progress and you have that internal hope that what you're doing is right, whether you walk off the court, you know, handing in the balls or not, I think that's everything. I think that is 100% everything, is you need to feel like you have this hope and you have this path forward to be the player and and to achieve the dreams that you want to achieve, whether it's a college scholarship or whether it's winning Grand Slams. If you don't have that, I don't care if you're winning or not. It's going to be fleeting. When does walking off the court the victor become important? Uh, Well, it depends on your goals. So if your goal is college, walking off the court when you're 16, 17, winning a lot of matches is a big deal because that's what colleges care about. Whether they say that or not, that's what they care about. Um, If you want to win Grand Slams, then obviously in Grand Slams. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, you know, the top three guys, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, their performance in Master Series and lower don't equate to their performance in Grand Slam. So it just it just depends what your goal is and when that thing matters. I remember meeting a guy, um, you know, when I was younger and coming up, and it was a total perspective enlightenment for me. And his goal was to be top 200 in the world. So those matches he was playing and trying to win was a big deal to him. You know what I mean? And I just, that, that, it, it kind of hit me then that, man, people have different goals. Not everybody wants to win uh, Grand Slams and so on and so forth. Right. And Jenny, going back to the whole footwork and, and movement on the court, how do you guys train that? What specifically are you doing with the kids to help them get better? Well, we do a lot of on-court. I mean, most of it is on-court. And I've, you know, between Taylor and I, um, through our own experience, um, the amount of training off-court that we did, uh, just we felt we recognized that it didn't, it didn't translate as much as we had hoped. So we like to, we like to take the kids through whether it's, you know, it's on-court in drills that they're doing, you know, um, where you know, one side is running uh, a lot more than the other, um, putting these kids through just, just, you know, body blow, body blow, body blow, where they're running side to side to side, things like that, that can be on court with live ball. Um, I, you know, in fitness, I actually run our fitness program um, right now. And I do a lot of um, explosive type of footwork, a lot of, uh, we do hurdles, we do um, just things that that sort of load the legs up and then we're trying to explode through, through positions. Um, sometimes I even, you know, I, I've gone through and studied some um, things that basketball players have, have done. I just think that there's a similarity between, you know, the, the ability to, to get out of a corner to be able to decelerate and then accelerate, you know, in a, a different direction. Um, we do a lot of that. I do that sometimes personally with, with, or privately, I should say, in, in on like one-on-one, you know, training sessions with certain players, if they request it, um, you know, we just, we just spend a lot of time, uh, doing, doing exercises that, that 
mimic as closely as possible, you know, tennis type of movement, short distances, nothing too long. Occasionally, I will do a longer day with more of endurance um, just to make sure that they get that in as well. Um, we do a ton of abs because even though abdominals don't seem like they're related to footwork, um, having a really strong core is um, is is very important to be able to react, move quickly, change direction, keep your your extremities, as you will, uh, you know, in tight and and not sort of you know compensate and you potentially get injured down you know right. down the road of a a wide ball or something like that. So, you know, I, I, I just use the experience that Taylor and, and I um, have and, and Phil and, you know, learning from all the different, the trainers that we've, we've trained with and watching them. I mean, even just, you know, learning from the ones that I see on online now and that are out there and, you know, Phil just got back from Dubai um, with uh, uh, Misha Kichmenovich um, working on his serve um, and he was able to watch uh, Tsitsipas and Kachmanovich and um, Kachanov train. And so, you know, he was sort of giving me some information from that and just sort of saying, you know, this is what they were doing. And, you know, it's just very similar to what you're doing and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, we just we really just try and um, make the fitness as efficient as possible um, in that in that way. A hot topic right now is early specialization and adult type injuries in young athletes. And, you know, this is something that is being discussed everywhere um, as youth sports become bigger and bigger business. And, you know, we're seeing kids specialize younger and younger and, and develop these really devastating injuries at young ages. How do you guys approach that whole kind of philosophy around early specialization? Because tennis in in the last, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years has become a sport where people are convinced that they have to play tennis and only tennis starting, you know, by age six, if they want to have any chance of succeeding. And I'm just curious how as coaches and, you know, former players yourselves, how you approach that with your students. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, injuries are caused from a variety of factors and, and a few of them are controllable. And, and I think with any sport, any sport, but I think more tennis than anything else is uh, the danger there is imbalance, right? We use one side a certain way so many times. So, you know, if you're doing some off-court training for injury prevention, not necessarily performance, but for injury prevention, man, we're all about it. Absolutely all about it because trying to off that imbalance in the muscles from the right to left side or minimize it because I'm not sure you can stop it. I think, I think there's always going to be a stronger side versus a weaker side in a tennis player, but minimizing that imbalance is absolutely huge. Um, and you know, and how is, do you address that with the parents? You know, how do you convince them that this is really important because let's face it, you know, a teeny tiny minuscule percentage of kids are going to wind up making a living playing tennis. Most of them are going to go on to other 
jobs and careers. And, you know, the the thought of a 30-year-old walking around looking like they're 70 is really yeah. sad, but yeah. it happens. No, it does happen. And I, and I think, and I don't think you can change the second one. You know, this isn't an imbalanced one, but here in, in the U.S., you know, we play a ton of, ton of matches, ton of points, ton of repetitions on hard courts, you know, and uh, I don't think that's the easiest thing on the knees and the hips. And, and when you're talking about having issues when you're in your 30s, uh, when you're in your 40s, that's kind of what we're talking about. So that one's a little bit tough. And I would just say, if if I was to talk to a parent about you know injury prevention and longevity of just wealth, not even not even about being a tennis player, just longevity of sorry health, um, then I, then you you know you have to acknowledge that man, you get beat up on a, on a hard court. Any any parent that's played tennis, you know, knows when they go on a hard court, it just the knees hurt and the hips hurt. You know, maybe the back hurts, something like that. So getting you know going swimming um doing some band exercises doing some alternative type exercises like pilates or something like that that's not really as as impactful as tennis i think it's a big deal and and it can only help i mean look the stronger the muscles are around all of the joints the less chance you are to 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 be injured you know injuries happen because either there's a weakness or, or there's, or, or obviously the, the joint can get overextended, but I'm just talking about, you know, muscle injuries. Either there's a weakness or there's fatigue. And, you know, fatigue is kind of a, another way of saying weakness. You know, that, that thing got mm-hmm. tired and it shouldn't have got tired and we got hurt, you know? So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's a big deal. It's just, it's tough. You know, I, how hard is it? You know, these kids here, I'll tell you the reality. The reality is this. These kids get up. What time do they get up to go to school in the morning? 6.30? Right. You know, yeah. they got to be at school at 7.30, then they get out of school at 3, 3.30. They got to try and get two and a half hours, two hours of tennis in at least. You know, if we're talking competing for college scholarships, like Division One college scholarships, two hours of tennis every day, man, I don't know if that's enough for most, for 99% of the people. Obviously, we know people can do that, but I, I'd say they're in the, the minority, okay? So let's just say we're getting two hours of tennis in you know, from, from four o'clock to six o'clock. Now you got to go home. You got to shower. You got to have dinner. You got to do homework. When are we going to take care of our bodies? You know? So if, we, if we're playing tennis to get college scholarships, I don't know. It, it, there's not much time in the day to take care right. of the body. Right. It's tough. It, it's really tough. And I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a struggle. I think that a lot of families are dealing with and, you know, they, hear conflicting information and, and aren't sure who to believe. But I think we, everybody agrees that the last thing you want to see happen is for a kid to get injured and have to give up the sport. And the other thing we don't want to have happen is for the kid to burn out and give up the sport. How do you guys address that? Because I'm listening to the three of you each one of you is more passionate about this game than the next one. And sure. I, I'm just wondering how you, you know, do you ever get kids that come to you that are just feeling on the verge of burnout and quitting? What do you tell them? How do you keep them coming back? Well, for me, I'll let, I'll let everybody else give their two cents. But, but for me, 
the first answer is what we talked about before is make it, make it as fun as possible. It's not always going to be fun. It's not going to be fun every day. I mean, you know, when all of the smoke is cleared, we're out here working our butts off to get better and to either get a scholarship or to uh, try and go pro, you know, th that's what we're doing. But that can be augmented by, by just having a little bit of brevity out there, a little bit of fun, a little bit of good times out there. Um, and when you do get a kid that's kind of, back up against the wall, down and out type of thing, the reality is, is life. Life always gives us our biggest surprises, our biggest bonuses, our biggest achievements, our biggest rewards when we're down and out. You know, you just, are you willing to stick it out? Are you willing to fight it out? You know what I mean? And, and I, I know that I've experienced that. You know, there's there's been times where I've thought about quitting tennis. In fact, I don't know many pro players that haven't thought about quitting tennis. I mean, look at David Ferrer. His his story is is fabled in the in the tennis world. You know what I mean? If you're willing to just tough it out, there's always there's always a bright side. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel, even though you may not see it. Phil, what's your take on the whole issue of burnout and and keeping these kids coming back? Uh, it's 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 a tough question. I mean, burnout. The kids either done it to themselves or the parents have helped along the way. Um, and burnout, you know, it's, 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 it's got to be controlled by, I think, the parents and the coaches a little bit. I think the kid will do whatever is necessary for them to want to win. But I think you've got to have, because they are young and they don't realise what they're going through physically is it's, and mentally. I mean, it's look. It's a hard game to go out there and and to put yourself out there and you know try your best and lose. It's it, it becomes real personal, and I think that you know I think that's when I think parents really help, and uh, I think coaches can help put it in more of a perspective where you, know, you talked about winning and losing. I think that I think getting off the court and knowing that you competed. I mean, I played a lot of matches and. It was. I was okay with it if I if I knew that I I competed and, and and we all have our different ideas of what competing means and uh, putting in a full effort and doing the right thing whatever it may be to each individual. I think the the burnout comes when the kid doesn't have any help and they and they're getting frustrated and either the the coach isn't helping or the parents are pushing too hard. I think that's where burnout comes. I think the injury problem is you're playing on a real tough surface. I think that's got to be, you know, monitored all the way along. I think that uh, and the and the exercises that now uh, to say that I, that I see that I went over as Jenny said I went to Dubai and I watched these the these guys train and and play over the the course of two weeks. You know, I think what Jenny's doing with her training is very very similar, and these guys don't want to get hurt. So they're playing on hard courts. They were practicing on hard courts. They weren't practicing on grass or clay. They were playing full, you know, sessions, four hours a day on uh, hard courts. So they they had their ways of dealing with all that stuff. They took a, a half a day off, or you know, the exercises that they were doing were made to make sure that their muscles were strong and they had the agility and all the stuff that was going on in their body to 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 accommodate all the pressure that goes on it's not only it's not only the 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 pounding that the body takes it's the mental pressure 
you know, there was a guy called Roy Emerson. He won Wimbledon three times. And uh, I grew up, he's, he's a bit older than me. He was sort of like a, you know, an Australian guy. You guys may have heard of him. He's pretty, he was a pretty good player. I and, actually uh, just had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Emma's a great guy. But yeah. uh, when he was preparing to play slams, he used to play seven sets a day. He used to play seven sets. Wow. And when I asked him, I said, why are you playing seven sets? I was a kid, you know, he was uh, in his you know mid-late 20s and I was a teenager. I said, why would you play seven sets? He said, well, the seven sets really is for the mental anguish that I go through, that I have to deal with. So if I'm going to win a slam, I've got to play seven matches. And that's what he would do. Now, that doesn't suit everybody. It was one of the very few guys that, that I've ever met that played that many sets before, you know, a slam. But everyone deals with the whole thing differently. And I think just the monitoring the kids, helping them understand what what winning and losing is and what competing is. And competing... If you compete hard, you're going to get your wins. That's for sure. And you're mm-hmm. going to be much more satisfied with what you're doing. That's my take. Jennifer. And Jenny, Jenny, what about you? Um, I would say in the, the students that I've worked with who, who seem, you know, more down and out than others or who feel, I, I feel like they've, they've either lost their way, um, which to me means that they don't believe in the direction that they're going or they don't understand it or and similar to Phil, like that he said that, that they're not getting the help get, you know, with that. Um, I, I think we have to make sure that the students understand, um, you know, they have to believe in what they're trying to do on the court and understand and, and recognize the silver linings when, you know, they don't, Maybe they don't execute the way that they want to. Um, we tell the students all the time that execution is actually not something that you can control. You know, so many times we ask these students, okay, well, what is your goal today for this match? What are you going to work on? What are you going to do? And they say, well, I want to play well. And I say, well, that's great, but you don't have control of that. I need to know really what what is tangible. What can you control? You know, can, a lot of times they just – they you know, they, they, and, and we all do it. I mean, and this is the, this is, this is who we are. We're human. We, we like to wallow in our misery. We like to, um, it's, it's hard to pull ourselves out. I mean, it, it takes a very disciplined, mature, you know, seasoned and, and motivated player to, or person to pull themselves out of a rut. And so I think it's, it's trying to change their perspective to show them the good, show them, you know, all the things that they are doing well or what they can control and just try and change their focus. Because so many times it's just a perspective change, um, you know, especially that can, if, if the parents understand that as well, you know, they can help so much at home um, build a mentality of, of, of learning how to just compete and, and value competing. Cause I tell the kids all the time, I said, you know, when I mean, you look at like Rafael Nadal and that, that, you know, match the final at the U.S. Open and the guy just doesn't go away. And the amount of pressure that puts on your opponent 
you know, if you just come forward every single point and all you worry about is that individual point and putting your best foot forward mentally and physically, you know, you can't ask any more from yourself. And, and you, sometimes the kids underestimate, even, you know, if they think, well, I didn't win the point. Well, that's not the, that's not, that's really not the, the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, you know, you've, you've made this other person work really hard to win a point. And now they're under the pressure to have to do that every single point. And if you just win, you know, 53, 54, 56% of the points, you're, you're going to have a pretty successful career. I mean, you know, a lot of those kids think, well, it's just, if I, you know, if I, if I've, I've, I put in the hard work and if I, you know, can play this ball exactly the way I want to play. I want to put it in the corner two feet from the line and I want to have it this kind of spin. And, you know, if it doesn't go exactly there, exactly the way they want to, they think it's a loss. They think it's, they think they've failed. And I'm saying, no, like you're still on the point. Maybe you didn't hit it where you wanted to, but you know, you, the intention was there and, and that that's more important than the execution because the execution will come and go. There'll be days when you come out and it's just happening. It's flowing. It's easy to work hard when, when everything's going in, you know, it's fun. You you can't, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's just easy. It's the days when you come out and you are having a hard time finding the court when you're having to fight mentally. Those are the days when, when you can actually improve more. If you embrace that, if you see that as a, as an opportunity to get better and not as, you know, a failure that day. Um, it's just teaching these kids, changing their perspectives, um, teaching them the long road um, and not, you know, sort of the sprint. It's a marathon to get to be a good player. It is not a single, you know, sprint. It's not it's not how you do in one tournament. I mean, count the number of tournaments you play. I don't even know, you know, if, if anyone could could even count that. You know, you, there's so many tournaments over the course of a career. And if you do if you do poorly in one, it's okay. You shrug it off. Let's work on what we, you know, what we didn't do well. And let's get back out there and try again. And, you know, you only, you know, they say all the time, you only, you only fail when you stop trying. So I, I tell the kids all the time, it's, it's just a perspective change. And we just have to teach them to see, to see the game in sort of a longer, you know, a longer term. We're trying to get to a certain, we're trying to, we're trying to reach a potential when we're 17 or when we're 18, depending on what your goals are, let's mm-hmm. play our best tennis then. Let's not play it right now. You know, it's just, it takes time to build that kind of game. Absolutely. Well, you guys I have shared some incredible wisdom. Thank you. I know it's been a, a long day for you and, and I so appreciate you coming online and doing this after being on the court all day long for people that want to get more information on your academy or want to reach out to you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I guess the, the first step would be, you know, the birch.com. Uh, the birch is the tennis club, the tennis facility that we're building out in Keller, Texas. It's like kind of um, in between Fort Worth and Dallas and uh, the Dent tennis Academy is like a sub uh, setting, a sub uh, category on that website. So the birch.com We'll get you there. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we, we appreciate it. I mean, we, we love talking about this stuff. You know, we talk about it all the time. And obviously, 
like any coaches, like any coach, we're super opinionated and uh, we have our, our strong beliefs. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we love it. We're passionate about it. That's fantastic. We will have a link to your website in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So for the listeners, if uh, you didn't get what Taylor said, thebirch.com, or you're not sure how to spell it, no worries. Just go to parentingaces.com and we'll have a link there for you. You guys, I just wish you continued success. I love talking with you, Taylor, as always. And Phil and Jenny, it's a pleasure meeting you and, and hearing from you as well. And my gosh, the enthusiasm and the experience that you guys bring to the game are just phenomenal. Thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And happy holidays to y'all. This isn't airing until the new year, but um, I want to be sure and wish you a happy holiday with your family and just enjoy. Thanks again. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.